Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. When we look at the word supplications in this whole area of prayer, it deals with the the weightiness of the matter. In other words, that there is something very important there. Uh, One writer states that it carries the idea of offering a request for a felt or an understood need that's there. And there's a with it comes this depth of earnestness, this whole idea of uh, a continuous of the use there when we, when we make that supplication. It's not just once we make this prayer and then we move on, but this is important enough that we are making supplications on a regular process. Each and every one of us approaches prayer in our own unique ways for the most part. From a quick prayer before starting and finishing our day to random prayer throughout the day, we all have variations of our own. But how do we approach prayers of supplication? In today's message, Pastor David teaches us about the deep and earnest nature of supplication in our prayers. In our study, we learn that rather than simple prayers before meals, supplication is humbling as we make our needs known to the Father. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, Exhortations. We're in the book of 1 Timothy. We started 1 Timothy a few weeks ago, and we're now in uh, chapter 2. And there's only 15 verses in chapter 2, so we're simply going to take that, that whole chapter this morning. And I say simply, kind of tongue-in-cheek, because actually in chapter 2, there's a, a couple of pretty heavy topics that we're going to be looking at, kind of controversial topics for the Christian church today. We're going to try and cover both of them this morning. So uh, one of them is this whole issue of predestination and election, how that works, what the Word of God speaks in the balance of all these things. The second one, and you're going to enjoy this, the the second one is uh, women keeping silent in the church. Amen? (laughs) All the women and the men are laughing. The men are laughing nervously and... uh, The women are saying, yeah, right, right. Well, we're going to look at it today and see what uh, Paul has to say. Now, in in both both of these cases, actually, I come to this in in fear and trembling. Not fear and trembling on how you're going to respond. The fear and trembling is is that I would rightly divide it, that I would would speak the truth and not get out of balance either way. I I want to be certain that I allow you to find more answers this morning than to leave here with more questions that you had before you came in. Hopefully through an understanding of your of the word that you won't be any more confused than uh, perhaps you are and actually have some, some solid answers as you leave here this morning. Now, but before we get into the two topics that I spoke about, Paul begins this chapter, and of course it's not a chapter to Paul. We divided these up so that we could find them a little bit better, but 
before he gets into these two topics, he actually begins out with this call for all of us to pray. And not, not only just to pray, but to, to pray with a, a, a distinct purpose. Look at what he speaks here in chapter two, beginning in verse one. He says, therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications and prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Now, at first glance, you you read through that, and if you just read through it fairly quickly, it sounds almost like Paul is uh, repeating himself that uh, supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made. It's kind of like you'd go up and say, man, that guy over there, he is like big. I mean, he's huge. I mean, he's massive. He's like a giant. You're saying the same thing just over and over. And some look at this and say, well, isn't that what Paul is saying? But I don't believe that it is. I believe that Paul is specifically saying the things that he's saying purposefully. There's actually about seven different Greek words that we find in the New Testament that we use in reference to prayer. And here, Paul is actually using four of them. And so again, in this particular case, I believe that he's using these four for emphasis. He's using them because, again, he wants a particular focus with anticipated results on these things. It's kind of a similar pattern that he gave when he wrote to the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter four, when again, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, all three of those, each distinct, each with a particular purpose. Well, here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he begins with that word supplications, that supplications. Now, that's, that's probably not a word that you and I use in our normal conversation with each other. Uh, hey, I, I went to my wife and I made supplication to her that we would have dinner early uh, or that uh, she would cook. No, we, we don't use that very much at all. By and large, When we look at the word supplications in this whole area of prayer, it deals with the the weightiness of the matter. In other words, that there is something very important there. Uh, One writer states that it carries the idea of offering a request for a felt or an understood need that's there. And there's a with it comes this depth of earnestness, this whole idea of uh, a continuous of the use there when we, when we make that supplication. It's not just once we make this prayer and then we move on, but this is important enough that we are making supplications on a regular process. Sometimes these supplications deal directly with us. Sometimes they deal with others, but primarily it is the weightiness of the issue. In ancient Greek, it had the idea of going and, and bowing before one in authority and offering up an olive branch. In other words, I, I, I want to surrender to you completely. I'm offering this olive branch. There is a need in my life, and I know that it can't be met by anyone except you. That's the idea, the understanding of supplications. The simple word prayers, that you would offer up prayers. By and large, prayers speak to us of the, of the very active 
worship, really, that we engage in when we go and, and speak with God, when we come before and, and try to communicate with God, long before we speak any supplications for any needs that we have or intercessions for the needs of others. We should recognize and, and come to understand and literally declare the majesty and the greatness of who God is. What did Jesus say in the model prayer? Hey, when you pray, pray like this. Now, again, it's not a rote prayer, but it is a pattern of prayer. He's, again, speaking of, first of all, speaking of the greatness and the majesty. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy, hallowed be your name. This whole idea of recognizing and understanding that when I come before God, he's a great, he's an awesome, full of splendor, full of majesty. And that's the understanding that we need to come to when we come before him in prayer. We don't come just like, hey, me and the man upstairs, we got, you know, we're, we're tight, we're good to go. And that kind of an attitude, I, I've heard so many people through the years with that kind of a, a lighthearted attitude of relationship with God. Yes, Paul says that he is our father. We have the, the, the ability to run into his presence, crying out Abba or Daddy, Father, and come into his presence that way. But we should not in any way, form, shape, or fashion take him as anything less than the majesty and the glory and the might and the splendor that he is. That's why Jesus said, man, you start off, you recognize the greatness and the majesty of who he is. That ought to be our first focus. That ought to be the the first understanding in our prayers. So we have supplications, we have prayers, then we have intercessions. Again, this is a purposeful prayer that, that, that reaches outside of ourselves. We make intercession for other people or for other needs, uh, again, beyond our own lives. It's in the full agreement with that idea of offering up uh, petitions on, on behalf of another. It's just like what we find in Hebrews chapter seven, when it speaks of Christ always lives to make what? Intercession for us. He's praying for us even now. When we make intercessions, we're actually praying for someone else. We intercede this morning for the families who lost loved ones there in London this last weekend. And again, we we intercede on their behalf. We pray again in the place of or for the cause of someone else at this point in time. Then he says, and and the giving of thanks, that there ought to be a giving of thanks be made for all men. And again, this is the idea that we always have to have that within our prayers. I believe that that, that's one of the most important things uh, beyond the the, the speaking of the majesty and the greatness and the recognizing the, the splendor of God. I believe that in the midst of that, or with that, definitely this whole idea of thanking him. Not only thanks for what he's done, but also as we pray in faith, we thank him for what he's going to do. Let me share with you what I mean by that. Do you realize that if God never did another thing in your life right now, from here on in, you know, the, no other prayers were answered, no, no other impact in your life that God did not, you would still have plenty enough to thank him for all of eternity. Not only for salvation, but for the things that you know that within your life, he's worked and moved already. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our thanks. We need to understand that. Again, we receive the grace. 
We receive the mercy of God that allows us to be able to even speak out our prayers and to call upon the name of the Lord. We ought to be thankful for that. And when you think about it, who are we? Who are we as, as, as individuals to go before the great God of all the universe, the creator of all things seen and unseen, and you and I as individuals to be able to come before him and to cry out and to know that this great majesty, this splendor, the great God of all gods, the, the, the greatness, the vastness of, he's willing to bend his ear to hear your prayer and not only hear it, but to answer it. Where are we at right now? We're like 7 billion people in the world today. If we say that, well, out of 7 billion people, only about 10% are really and truly Christians, so that brings us down to, divide by seven, carry the three. That's about 700 million. Now, if you think within that 700 million, about 10% of those that live on the earth, out of that 700 million, say, out of those that are believers, that we just kind of a grand, you know, grasping at numbers, say only 50% of those are really praying believers that, that consistently and continually go before him in prayer. Now, this is where the math gets really difficult, and I usually have to bring my calculator, but I think that that now brings us down to like three, uh, carry the five out of 700, uh, that's about 350 million Half of the seven, okay, about 50. So 350 million, just think of that for a moment. Now, if I ask you right now, for all of you to share with me all at the same time some of your needs and concerns in your life, and I want to hear and I, I want to help and what, and I said, okay, go. And all of a sudden, everybody began talking. There is no way I would be able to hear that. And we're talking that we have a great God in heaven who hears our individual prayers. He is concerned about our well-being. He's concerned about the issues that are in our life. That's why he says, cast all your cares upon me, because he cares for us. The concept just blows my mind, and I'm thankful for that, that again, the, the whole understanding that the great God of the universe would listen to my prayer. I think we would have to be of, of the utmost ego, the feeling of absolute self-importance if we did not include thanksgiving within our prayers. Thank you, God. Thank you for listening to my prayer because I know, man, my, my, my week, I have no right to come before you. I know because of the sinfulness of my own life, I have no right to come before you, but yet you're willing to answer supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks to be made for all men, for, all, for kings and all who are in authority. It, it's curious to me how earnestly we pray just before the elections, okay? We, I mean, we, we fervently pray. We, we call for prayer meetings just before the elections. And then what happens after the elections? We're, we're not quite as fervent, particularly if it's not the individual that we wanted, that got elected. We kind of back down on those things. How often do we continue to pray for those that are in the place of authority? Particularly if it's a candidate that we don't like, 
Do we still pray in earnest? Not, and I'm not saying praying against them. Paul says, no, we, we pray for them. We pray for them. So regardless of the candidate that's in whatever place, whatever position of authority, you and I as believers, we are called with a responsibility to pray for all men, for kings, and for all those who are in authority. We pray for those in authority, even when they're the opposing party, even when they're the opposing mindset. Not praying against them, but praying for them. Our responsibility as believers, as representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ, and and for his kingdom's work, we are to offer up supplications, prayers, intercession, and the giving of thanks for all men, for kings, and for those who are in authority, that we might lead a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and in reverence. Oh, you mean so that I would pray for the king in order that if the king is is anti-Christian, I would not enter into persecution, I would not enter into trials. Is that what Paul is saying? No, you need to understand Paul is declaring this to Timothy in the midst of the Roman era. He, he's, they're in the midst and, and underneath the Roman rule, the Roman occupation of, of Israel, the land of Israel at that point in time. It, this is the beginning of the Roman persecution of the Christians. And just right around the end of Paul's life, the, 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 the greatness, the vastness, the extent of that persecution was there. But Paul saw and he understood a greater reality than the issues that were facing him and other believers of that day. He knew that there were eternal issues that are going on. You need to be praying for those in authority, not in order that you might be removed from the trials and the persecution, but because in a much grander scheme, those in authority need to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They need to come to a reality and the truth of of the offer of God in their life. These kings, these magistrates, all these in authority, these men, these rulers needed to come to that saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the same kind of knowledge that Paul and Timothy, the church there in Ephesus had. Paul was concerned, I believe, about their souls. So the question is, is are we? Are we truly concerned about the souls of those individuals that are in authority, and in particular when someone is in authority that we don't like? And their actions and their drive and their directions are totally opposite of what we want. Are we more concerned about the issues that we face today than we are about the eternal status of their soul? That's why I believe Paul says, no, you need to be praying for them. You need to be praying for for them, in order that, again, as he says, you might live that, that quiet, peaceable life in godliness and reverence. It's godliness and reverence because I'll have a clear conscience. I'm not praying against this one. I'm praying for him. I want to be obedient to the Lord. My life is the Lord's. If, if I go into persecution or trial, my life is the Lord. If I have quietness and, and, and no attacks, my life is the Lord's. And the sooner we understand that, the sooner we grasp that, I believe the deeper that we can then be concerned about others, particularly those that are in authority. Our world is changing, beloved. Our world is changing at an ever 
quickening pace. And we need to be real in our relationship with God, real in our understanding that he holds today and tomorrow and forever. He holds our life in his hands. And he has us here. We're still here sucking air in this terrestrial place in order that we might be a representative of the truth of God to a lost and dying generation all around us. We need to be people who are concerned with the souls of others more than we are concerned about the comfort that we have within our own lives. Paul goes on from here. He says, this is good. This is acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. And then what does he say? He's the one who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Why do I pray for those, all men, for kings, and for all who are in authority? Because God desires that they be saved. Do I desire the same thing? Am I really that concerned about them? He says in verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself, what, a ransom for all, to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ, and I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. See, that whole idea of praying for those that are in authority is, again, for God to move and work in their lives because he desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Because when Christ died, he gave himself a ransom for all. Now, beloved, this is where I take great issue that those that are in, and you may be aware of this, you may not, those that are in what's called the Calvinist camp, there is a there are some who are, are what are called Calvinists. There are some who are Arminius. And within those, there's a wide range of commitment to the understanding of those two schools of thought. But for many that are in the Calvinist stand, again, with the belief that there is a limited atonement. In other words, Christ died only for a select few, that his blood uh, was not shed for those that would not receive him. All too often, though, I see within the scriptures God's glorious plan that actually reaches out to all mankind from every tribe, tongue, and nation, to Jew, to Gentile, to slave, to free, to male, to female, to all the whosoevers would call upon his name. I see a call to all men everywhere to be saved. Nor God not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to everlasting or eternal life. Beloved, I see this over and over. It's not just one verse that we can explain around and, and jump hoops over. We see it over and over. And all too often, I feel that there, there are those within the Calvinist camp that they set themselves up even as the Jews and the Pharisees of Paul's day that says, God is our savior. He's not yours. And you see, God called Israel to himself in order that they might be a light to all the nations. He called them to himself that he would show his glory through them, that they might show his glory to all nations, to draw all men to himself. We could look through passage after passage, but even right here in chapter 2, Paul says in verse 1, prayers need to be made for the elect. No, he says prayers need to be made for all men. 
We're so glad you joined us today for Pastor David's study in the book of 1 Timothy. This book is filled with valuable instruction for church leadership, yet holds plenty of instruction for Christians in general. We can all be leaders in our own sphere of influence, and studying 1 Timothy will give us great insight into God's values in this area. We hope you've been encouraged by today's message on the open word. If you'd like to hear more teachings from this program, Pastor David's here to tell you how. Hey, thanks, Chris. You know, the Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, or shared. Just go to theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take the Open Word with you as you go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching for The Open Word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound biblical teaching with you anytime, anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. While you're at our website, be sure to click on About for information about the ministry of The Open Word and more about Pastor David. There's also a link to Pastor David's blog, another great resource that looks deeper into what the Bible is teaching us. That website, once again, is theopenword.com. That's all we have time for here today on The Open Word. Join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of 1 Timothy, right here on The Open Word. Make us more.